John chapter 13, we're going to begin in verse 1. This is Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And this takes place just before the Passover meal that they were celebrating, which they did every year in the Jewish faith, which would ultimately become the Lord's Supper that we just participated in. So it's kind of extra interesting, extra applicable to us and what we just did. So, all right, John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. In verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter said, do not just wash my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, even though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's say our scripture declaration together. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the deeds that Jesus has done and the example that he has set for us in serving one another. And bless Pastor Randy as he comes forward to share what you've laid on his heart for us to hear from you today. Amen. All right. And with that, let's go ahead and dismiss our teens and uh, we'll, we'll do the kids in just a minute, or do you want to go ahead and dismiss the Yeah, let's right? go ahead and dismiss All right. the kids teens and kids. teens and kids. Let's head on back. Right. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks, guys, for being a part of things already. And uh, we appreciate you. God bless you, and you guys enjoy your classes and your class time together. All right. You had your chance to get away, and it is now time for me to bore you with grandpa pictures, okay? <laughs> Um, yeah, I know that some of y'all were thinking, well, my hair is a little white. I don't know if I could have snuck into the teen class and uh, been, you know, uh, welcome there, but probably not. But 
Now that you've been seen, now that I've seen you, I am excited about sharing some brand new pictures of my brand new grandson, my first and only, and all of those things. And so um, part of it is a prayer request uh, as well, and so I'll share that with you guys. But um, I was just going to share them at the beginning because I didn't want to, you know, uh, in any way rush through uh, and if I can knock this out, I want to, you know, make sure that uh, I'm focused on exactly what I'm doing. There's my little guy. His name is Ben Oliver Wagner. He is seven pounds and eight ounces. That's my daughter, Taryn, on the left. My wife sent this picture, and she said, he loves his mama. And uh, I thought, yeah, he definitely does. Uh, that's him. Uh, we haven't really been able to hold him a ton because he is unfortunately in the NICU unit right now. Um, and that's not necessarily all that unusual, as a lot of you guys know, especially those who are in the medical field. I know I'm talking to a bunch of nurses. Y'all know uh, the NICU is not something that uh, is nearly as scary as it maybe used to be. Um, also, the NICU unit has told us that he's the healthiest baby in the NICU. And uh, he's got a, a, dor uh, a dorm room uh, suite. I don't know what exactly they call it for the NICU unit. But he's like seven pounds and eight ounces, and this little baby that he's sharing the room with is like three pounds. And so it's just like a, a monster kid with a little bitty baby, you know. Uh, but yes, this is him. He's under the, the Billy Rubin light, if you know what that is. Um, he's got just a tiny bit of jaundice. And part of his problem is, is that he hasn't been able to eat. Like they kept him from eating for like two days straight, maybe more. And that hurt my heart. I was like, don't you know who he comes from? I mean, you can't keep this boy from eating. So there he is there. I'm holding him there. And as you can see, he's got his eyes open. And uh, as you can also see, Taryn and Mitch are like absolutely over the moon with him. And the, the woman on the right is a woman who I'm afraid has decided to leave me. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was a good run. We had a good run while it lasts 30 something years. Um, I don't know if I'll ever see her again. So, uh, no, uh, my wife is over the moon and uh, she's just loving it. You can see, uh, you can't wipe the smile off Shelly's face. I got to hold him, um, and uh, as I got a chance to hold him, uh, he probably was with me for about 45 minutes because the nurses have to transfer him from one person to the other because of all the tubes and all the different things, the sensors and monitors. And so he sat there and I thought he'll be awake for a minute, maybe two, and then he'll go to sleep. But he sat there and he looked at me for about 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. And I just talked to him the whole time as you can imagine, right? All right. And, uh, and Tatum, my, the, 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 the one who's way too much like me, goes, Dad, he listened to you for 15 minutes? That's more than your congregation does. And I'm like, I don't know why we brought you home from the hospital. You know, she's just too much like me. Um, but uh, he is doing really, really well. He's still in the NICU. He probably will be released tomorrow. A big part of it has to do with his, uh, with his jaundice level and, uh, you know, just making sure that his skin is getting enough to kind of take him down from that. I know a lot of you guys have had kids. Y'all know how this is. I do have to tell you one story. So for the first couple of days, they weren't giving him any food at all. Nothing. He had a little 
tube down his throat and into his stomach. And so they were keeping him alive. They told us that they were giving him baby Gatorade. So he had all the vitamins and all the stuff that he needed. But what was so funny was finally, like the end of his second day or so, they put just the tiniest little drop of like milk in his mouth. And he was just sitting there, you know, because he's been going after the passy pretty hard, you know, like he's trying to get, you know, milk from a stone. It's just not happening. But he's going after and going after it. And they put just the tiniest little drop of milk on the back of his passy and then put it in his mouth. And he's, he just kind of like stopped like, oh my goodness, what was that? That just hit my face, you know. So anyway, he was really excited. And uh, he went from, no joke, from five milliliters on feeding number one, one day, to 10 milliliters on feeding number two, to 45 milliliters on feeding number three. And they said, he did great. I was like, sounds like he's got somebody's appetite. Uh, So anyway, but I'm very excited about Ben Oliver Wagner, seven pounds, eight ounces, 22 inches long. And uh, he's just a a real blessing to us. And I know I appreciate you guys being willing to, yeah, thank you guys. I appreciate it. I had nothing to do with it. That's why it's so good. <laughs> um, so as you know, uh, I've been boring you guys with these uh, updates and all that stuff, but some of you guys have just been uh, interested and in asking about it. So thank you so much. And thank you all so much for the support. That's where we were last Sunday. And uh, I appreciate so much Eric taking care of all the duties, Paul helping him as well. And and appreciate you guys, and uh, as always, and Scott, thank you so much for all the things that you do behind the scenes, and your whole family just doing things like crazy, so thank y'all for all that you do, and more, and more. Uh, I always hate going down that road, because I forget somebody, I'm sure, but we just appreciate you guys. All right, well, let me just share a couple of things with you very quickly. Um, as we talk uh, in our next couple of slides, you see that Easter is coming up, living life with hope. And I'm going to be sharing with you guys over the next couple of weeks the idea of living life with hope, not just simply for Easter service, but kind of the Easter season. And so um, you'll be hearing about that. And we're talking about the night before Jesus was betrayed and then eventually crucified that Thursday night going into Friday, what we now know as Good Friday. And as we talk a little bit about that, and as Eric read from John chapter 13, go ahead and leave your Bibles open. I'm going to be referring to that. It'll be on the screen, but it also can be in your app or be in the uh, Bible that you have, however you prefer. But let's keep going here as we go to our next slide. Don't forget, if you haven't taken the time to go ahead and text the letters EHC to this number, that means you're not getting the updates. But I did want to share with you over the next couple of weeks, you'll have an opportunity to share an invite with friends, and that will come directly to your phone. And so it's very, very easy. It's a very low-key way of inviting people and saying, hey, if you'd like to come, please come bring your kids. We've got a moon bounce. We've got an Easter egg hunt. And I mean, every single year we have a ton of kids. We have a ton of Easter eggs, and it's a ton of fun. And so please be a part of that. You are not getting the text that I sent out. I sent one out on Wednesday, and I sent one out on Friday. If you didn't get those, that means you're not signed up yet. 
and we'd love for you to sign up. And I don't, I can't believe I'm about to say this out loud. Take a minute and stop listening to me and go ahead and text the letter ZHC to this number. Uh, That's how strongly I feel about it because I'd love for you to invite your friends to come and be a part of Easter at EHC. It's going to be a blessing. As we mentioned a little bit ago, we are going to have two services. It's less about space and more about the fact that if you're here, we may need you to be serving uh, because we're going to be hiding about a thousand Easter eggs. We're going to be hiding, uh, uh, not just hiding Easter eggs, but teaching kids in the three different classes that we'll be meeting. And so if you are here, you might be tied up doing those things, but we want you to be able to celebrate and engage with Easter because it's such an important day. So please come at nine if you're planning on sharing and serving in the 1030 or vice versa, however you prefer. But please do come, please be a part of that, and we'll make sure that you get an invite that you can forward on via text to your friends as well. Let's go to our next slide here if you don't mind. And here is where we're beginning our lesson and our time together today. This is actually something that you heard me reading from uh, Luke chapter 22 as we shared communion a few moments ago. That dispute that arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus says to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. Those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. They're looking for a title. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who Uh, rules like the one who serves. So I was thinking about this passage of scripture and the passage of scripture from John 13, and I sent a note to myself. Do any of you guys do that? Um, I'm ICE in my phone, in case of emergency, I-C-E. So anytime you hear me saying, send a text to ICE or, you know, the hey, you know her name, right? Uh, uh, Send a text to ICE. That means I'm going to get a text to remind me of what I said or what I was thinking, because as I'm getting older, it's harder to remember exactly what I was thinking at the exact moment I was thinking it. But this spoke to me, and it really kind of stuck with me, and I wanted to write it down specifically. And I wrote down, isn't it interesting how things have not really changed that much? While Jesus is speaking to his disciples about true greatness, serving them and showing them exactly what real power, real identity, and real self-awareness looks like, while he is washing their feet, they're in petty squabbles, trying to prove that they're great in the face of the greatest power of the universe, washing their feet. So strange how this is just like us to this day. I looked at this passage of scripture and I see in John 13 a quick mention of the fact that he says something about greatness. We get a little different frame of it, a little bit different illumination of it when we look at John 13 in conjunction with Luke chapter 22, this verse specifically, verse 24, where it says a dispute arose among them. It doesn't actually say that in John, but you can see Jesus responding. And so as John writes his gospel, he layers some other parts of the things that are going on on the night before Jesus is arrested. Let's go to our next slide. Here's something for you to learn. All the gospel writers each share from their own perspective and each shared or emphasized a different part of the story. So in other words, if Shelly were up here telling you about our grandchild, she'd maybe show a different picture. She'd share a different detail. 
And so I share from my perspective and what kind of speaks to me, and she would do the same. It's not in any way conflicting. It's just part of the story. You might not have the, the space and the time to share all of the story. Or if I've already heard that you have heard from Shelly what she has shared, I'm going to say, well, let me tell you one other thing that'll add on to it so you can get even a more uh, clear picture and a little deeper meaning. That's how John 13 and Luke 22 and all of the other gospels fit together. There's a little bit of detail kind of illuminated in each and every one, and it just gets a little more layered and a little more rich as you kind of look at them together. And Luke is the one who shares the evening events that includes the Last Supper or communion. He doesn't actually mention the event of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. But John, as an eyewitness of the event and as a recipient of Jesus' act of service, goes into great detail about it. And you can imagine, if this were you, that you probably would have been impacted in a really deep way. And you probably could not have thought about that Last Supper without connecting it to the thing that happened right after that Last Supper, whenever Jesus, or pardon me, just before the Last Supper, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. If he had washed your feet, it would stand out. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever had somebody wash your feet before, but I will just tell you, it is one of the most humbling experiences that you can ever experience and, and ever take part in. It is embarrassing. Can I just say that? Like, I, I mean, feet are not the best part of the human anatomy. Can I get an amen? I mean, you know, like we don't like that part. We, we keep them covered, you know. And, and ladies, I mean, this is where y'all are clearly higher on the, the chain than we are. Y'all have pretty feet, guys' feet, oh man, you know, no, no, that's not for us, right? So it's just different. So as Jesus stoops to wash their feet, I can't imagine John ever forgetting the moment where he looks down and he says, this is my Lord and Savior, and he's washing my feet, just doesn't compute, you hear what I'm saying? And so as he writes this, I can see why he would write it. Because he was a recipient of that grace. He was a recipient of that forgiveness. He was a recipient of that vulnerability. And yet, at the same time, that, I don't know how to put it into perfect words, but it's incredibly freeing to know that somebody would love you that much. And so as it happens... John shares, because he was an eyewitness and he was a recipient of Jesus' act of service, as he is about to leave this world, he does this thing. And let's be very, very clear. I don't want you to lose the timeline. We're talking about Thursday evening as the Passover kind of begins. We're talking about Good Friday, when all the trials have happened into the night, past midnight and into the early morning, and then Jesus is on the cross before the morning is even over, and dead by 3 p.m. He's got literal hours before he's gone. And this is what he chooses to do with the last few hours of his life. So if it's, if it's on IG, it's blinking red to try to get you and I to pay attention to it. It's, it's the pinned tweet to make sure that you don't miss what's happening when he's only got a handful of hours left. He's doing something that he wants to make sure 
that it's a word picture that sticks with us. Let's go to our next slide very quickly. Here is our big idea that true greatness serves others and not self. True greatness serves others, not self. Would you guys say this aloud with me on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. True greatness serves others, not self. All right. So we're going to be talking about this as our big idea and how Jesus showed it to us and how we can experience it and how we can emulate that as we move forward in our lives. Let's go to our next slide. I talked with you guys the last time I spoke to you because it wasn't last week, but the week before. And I talked about three elements of success. And I want to go back to that for just a minute. And then I believe it will fold over onto this if you see, you know, kind of how it fits in just a little bit. I think this is a powerful thing for you in your life, whatever area of your life you're looking to move forward in. There is competence, there is confidence, and there is character. And if you have all three of those to a certain degree, you will have success in your life almost no matter what and almost no matter what area. But here is our problem. Let's, let's be very clear about how you define these things. Let's go to this. Competence is the ability to do something well. Confidence is the belief in yourself that you will succeed either now or in the future. And then character is a learned quality, a level of self-discipline and ability to take the L. That's the, that's the way that the you know, uh, vernacular is going now. And the take the L, L meaning loss, but you can either lose and gain nothing or you can learn from the thing that you took the loss in and it's not something that you lost. So you take the L the right way and you realize that every person who is a success has at one time at least in their life been a failure, right? You failed, and being a, f- a person who failed does not make you a failure, right? So you take the L the right way. You learn rather than lose, and so these are the elements of success. We're talking about Jesus showing greatness and embodying greatness, and I want to talk about this. R- real quickly, let's go even just a little bit deeper here. We see that sometimes people lack competence, that's the ones that get a job and then get fired, you know, as soon as they can, or everybody wishes they get fired, right? At least, I mean, who knows? But then they've got confidence, they're willing to do it, and they've got character, they're going to stick with it and stay in there, but they don't know what they're doing. How many of you guys work with, well, <clears throat> all right, hold on. How many of y'all have at least one time in your life worked with somebody just like this, right? They don't know what they're doing. They don't even know that they don't know that they don't know what they're doing, right? But by golly, they got confidence. They're trying with their very best effort. And they got character. They're going to stick in there. And you even probably like them, but they just don't know what they're doing. And you know how we say that here in Texas. God bless your little heart, right? That's how it goes. All right, so let's go to our next slide here. You've met, you've met people like this. They've got competence. They can do the job, but they have no confidence. And so even though you know they can do the job, they don't know they can do the job. And you're like constantly begging them to do the thing that they can do, but they won't because they won't try it because it's too much of a hit on their confidence. How many of you guys have worked with somebody at least once in your life like that? Okay, right. So you guys understand. I don't know if you've ever thought about it in this way, but this is true. And then you've also got this element of things where they've got competence and they've got confidence. They'll do it. But you also know 
that they're probably going to do it for about two weeks, and then they're going to decide something else is more important, or they're going to go somewhere else, or they're going to find something else, or they're going to find reasons to not keep doing what they know to do and what they actually can do. How many of you guys have worked with somebody at least once in your life like this? You see, it's all three of these things together. And as we keep moving here, this is more what it's like. It's not, hey, they've got this, it's all 100%. <laughs> hey, they've got this, it's all 100%. It's just different and varying levels for different people. But the truth is, is that if you want to work on success in your life, work on being competent, work on being confident enough to actually show what you can do and have the character, that thing that you develop, to stay in there and do things, not when they're easy, but when they're hard. So how in the world does this all relate to Jesus and him showing us what true greatness looks like? Let's keep moving. I'm glad I pretended you asked. So don't miss this. In one of the scripture's clearest passages that speaks on Jesus' awareness of his own identity, that awareness led him to serve others. We have often had scholarly debates in the Christian world about how much did Jesus know and when did he know who he was? You know, did he know when he was laying in the manger that he was God's son and all of these things? It's just a big debate that goes back and forth. But here's what we do know. As we look at the last moments of his life, as we read from John 13, it's very, very clear that he knew who he was he knew what he was about to face, and he knew that he was God's son facing it all. And so what it led him to do was to stoop down and do a servant's job for a bunch of men who were squabbling about who was going to be the greatest among them. Let's read from John 13. Here it says, it was just before the Passover festival and Jesus knew Notice, knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his who were in this world, he loved them to the very end or showed them the full extent of his love. It's kind of two ways that you could uh, translate that. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus, what? Knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was about to return to God. You see what I'm saying on the identity thing? He's very clearly aware. More than once it says he knew. And then what does he do? He goes to this next slide here. You can see what happens. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. I want to be very clear here. Jesus uh, just takes kind of like an outer cloak or an outer, outer layer of clothing. He's still clothed. It's just kind of different in the Jewish time versus today's time. But don't miss the main point here. The main point is, is that as he knows who he really is, that is the thing that sets him up to serve other people. Now, here's what I want to share with you. Let's go to our next slide. And hopefully you can see Christ knew who he was, knew who he was about to serve. That's the good and the bad. He knew how short the time was that he actually had left. And he knew what power he had to demand to be served. Now, I want to just, all right, <clears throat> I'm going to share I need my, my uh, imagination sometimes to be sanctified a little bit more. But can you imagine if Jesus goes, 
is nobody going to wash my feet? <laughs> I mean, we're sitting at a table, a, a low sitting table, and all of our feet are close to this Passover festival meal. Is nobody going to step up and wash my feet and their brother's feet? Don't you guys love one another? Like, aren't we going to serve each other? Haven't I told you about this enough? But that's not what Jesus does, is it? He doesn't scold. He models. Parents, we would do better sometimes to do a little less scolding and do a little more modeling. Modeling constantly what we want to see developed in our kids. He knows all of these things. He does not scold. He does not model with an attitude of, or an air of, somebody's got to do it. I'm going to share this so they'll be shamed. He lovingly shows them the full extent of his love, is what the Bible says there in John 13. That's what happens here. So let's go to our next slide. Those three elements of success really come down to these two things for Christ. I mean, everybody knows how to wash somebody's feet. It's just being willing to do it. And it sounds weird that somebody like Jesus would have the confidence to wash somebody's feet because we don't see it that way. I want to sit down here for just a quick minute and talk about this. In our modern world, if we're supremely competent, well, supremely competent, I'm going to throw the air quotes on there. If we're supremely competent in who we are, we use it as an excuse to not take anything that's beneath us. You see what I'm saying? We're going to show that we're better than that. We're going to stand up for our rights. I know who I am, and you can't make me do something that I don't want to do. And I get it. I know where that's coming from. I I do get it. Because I know that some of you have been pushed into corners and been taken advantage of in ways that I don't don't fully understand or fathom. But I'm just telling you that the confidence that Jesus shows here is confidence that goes to a place that says, I know exactly who I am. I know exactly what is needed to be done. And I'm so confident in who I am that I can look weak in the midst of this and still know beyond a shadow of a doubt there's nobody in this room that even comes close to touching the power that I possess. That's true greatness. You see what I'm saying? And so... In our world that's pushing us to know who we are and know our own power. God's word is pushing us and God's son is telling us and modeling for us what it looks like to know your own power enough to be willing to lay it down. Very different. It's very, very different than our world is telling us. And Jesus has enough confidence in himself and enough character in himself to say, I know how it is going to get done. That's not the hard part. I know what needs to be done. So I will take off this robe and be somewhat embarrassed. And then I'll take a basin and do a household servant's job because nobody else is willing because they're too busy wondering who's the greatest among them. So let's go to our next slide very quickly. 
How can we serve like Christ serves? How can we take John 13 and kind of put it into practice for our lives? Well, first of all, we serve when it's easier to focus on self. Jesus in his final hours, literally in his final hours, makes it about them and not him. He is facing his own brutal death as well as a betrayal, a denial, and multiple desertions because the Bible says that Judas would betray him, that Peter would deny him, and that all of the sheep would be scattered because the shepherd had been struck. The only one who basically stayed close was John, right? And so we know that this is all happening. Now, I'm going to just tell you all something. I'm just going to tell you something. There are times when Shelly is more willing to serve me than at other times. Here's what I mean. If I have made her really, really frustrated, I don't need to walk in and go, what's for dinner? You know? By the way, I do most of the cooking at the house. She does a ton of other things, more than I do. But I do most of the cooking, but you know what I'm saying. Like when you're frustrated with somebody, you don't want to be like, all right, serve me. You, you, now, there's a point. I'm not just trying to be funny. I mean, hopefully I'm fun. I heard a one or two laughs. I mean, here's the deal. As Jesus is facing this, he's getting down on the knees in front of the people who are going to run away when he needs them the most, who are going to betray him to his worst enemies and deny that they even know his name. Somebody who he's walked with daily for three years. The guy who's declared that... when. If everybody else deserts you, it ain't going to be me, Lord. That's Peter. And he does that at that moment when all of this is going to happen within hours, and he still doesn't care. He still serves them, not because it's about them, but because it's about him. You see what I'm saying? This is how we serve like Christ. We serve when it's easier to focus on self and how I feel and what you've done to me or what you haven't done for me. Instead, he serves, period, end of discussion, end of action. He just, he's not there to do anything but serve. And that's not us. That's not us. We serve when it serves us. He serves, period. How else can we serve like Christ? Very quickly. I'm going to move through these a little quicker. We serve when others won't. This is the job of a household servant, but there was no one there. And so there were 12 other guys that were waiting on somebody to do it. And the 13th guy, who would have been the last guy that any of us would have said, it's his job. No, he was the one who picked up the towel in the basin and served. Let's keep moving here. Number three, we serve when they don't deserve it. Judas was there. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. That happens in chapter 13, verse 5. And Judas leaves the Last Supper at chapter 13, verse 30. So that means Jesus washed all of the disciples' feet, including the one who had already got an agreement in place to betray him. That's powerful stuff. How do we serve like Christ? Let's keep moving here. Go to our next slide. Fourth, we serve when we're not passionate about it. I want to take a minute here, and I want to push back again on something having to do with our society. There are a lot of people that are awful concerned about what they are passionate about. They're like, oh, well, that's not my passion. Oh, well, that's not my passion. That's not my passion. 
I'm here to tell you something that you might not have ever thought of it in this way. I get the idea of finding your passion. I really do. But let me ask you a question. Did Jesus wash the disciples' feet because he was passionate about washing their feet? I mean, be, be honest. No. Nobody thinks that. If you think that, we need to talk about other things because you're missing the point of reality. What is reality here? Jesus washed their feet because he was passionate about them, not it. We'll say that again. Jesus washed their feet because he was passionate about them, not it. Part of us as Christians that we don't understand is we think that serving other people always makes us feel glorious, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's just downright frustrating and hard, and sometimes it feels like work that has little to do with glorious stuff. Can I just be honest? Those feet were dirty, nasty. It was a nasty job that Jesus volunteered for, not because he was passionate about washing feet, but because he was passionate about serving others. Can I get an amen on that? Can I get an amen? You see what I'm saying? Because most of us, we've been told a lot recently that we need to find our passion. Well, I would just say this. We're busy trying to find our passion, and there are a lot of things that we should be doing to serve other people that just goes undone. I serve my family in whatever way they need, not because I'm passionate about mowing the grass or, you know, whatever. It's because I want to serve them. Them, not it. When Jesus, when we want to serve like Christ and serve like Jesus, we serve people because they're the end result, not the thing that you're doing. It's really important. Really important. And I'm going to be honest with you, I could go on and on. I, I, I can't really say much more, but I hope you'll think about this. Because question, the question here is, who are you serving? And why are you letting things go undone in their life? Is it because you have told yourself, well, I'm not passionate about that, so it's somebody else's job? Mm, that's not really right. Sorry, it's just not. All right, let's keep moving here. John 13 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love this passage of scripture. But here is a question. How will people know that we love, actually love one another? I, the only thing I could come up with is when we serve people. It's the only thing I could come up with. Because I've heard people say that they love people, and I realize that's a bunch of words that they don't really mean. That's a bunch of things that they've said, but they don't actually show it. And so when I tell my family that I love them, it all sounds real hollow unless I've got something I can point to and say, this is what I've done. Not because I want your you know, adulation, but because I love you, I want this to make sure and get done in your life. And I want to be the one to do it. Not because I'm passionate about that, but because I'm passionate about you. I love you. I want to serve you. And by the way, when it only serves us, nobody thinks that's how you show that you're a disciple of Christ. 
<laughs> Let me serve you as long as it benefits me. It rings hollow and untrue, and the world distances themselves from the God who loves them because we are not showing them love overall and overarching, only love when it benefits us. Let's keep going. I'm, going, I'm drawing very close to the end here. All right, so very quickly, today I'm talking about Easter, living with hope, and I'm going to be sharing this with you for the next couple of weeks. I want to talk about how you live with hope. Very quickly, here we are. Uh, rocks and pebbles. Um, sorry, wrong rocks and pebbles. Can we go to the next slide? Rocks and pebbles. Okay, here we go. All right, just making sure y'all were awake. All right, rocks and pebbles. Rock, tons of pebbles. You guys with me? Let me share something with you very quickly about rocks and pebbles. <laughs> I equate rocks and pebbles to the things that go wrong in your life, the things that you wish wouldn't have happened, the small things that aggravate you, but also the big, huge things that rock your world. You guys understand what I'm saying? Rocks and pebbles. All right, so let's go to our next slide. In 1 Corinthians 15, speaking about the resurrection, here's what Paul says. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're of all men to be most pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through one man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through one man. As in Adam all die, so as in Christ all will be made alive. So here is what I know. This is as bad as it's ever going to be for me. Where I'm living right now is as bad as it's ever going to be for me because one day when this ends, I'll be in the presence of the God who loves me in a home that he has prepared for me. So no matter how bad it is today, I know that it's not going to do anything but get better eventually. You see why I have hope? This is living with hope. And this is why Easter is so important. We're not the people who have only hope in this life because rocks and pebbles are coming your way. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. This is what Jesus shares with them in his last hours. So again, we go to rocks and pebbles and you're wondering, what in the world are you doing here? How does this all fit? I'm about to hopefully sew it up for you. Let's go to our next slide. Living life with hope means life lived for bigger things than self will bring you hope. A bigger world than just what is seen, a bigger plan than just what I have for myself, and a bigger need than the one that suits and fits me. My world can collapse in on itself very quickly, but every time I serve, my world gets a little bit bigger. You guys with me? Can I get an amen? Y'all hear what I'm saying? Amen? Okay, so here's what I would share with you. <laughs> if this is your world, imagine a pebble dropped in. You can see every ripple. Imagine what the rock is going to do. Not, not the rock, but you know, that rock that we showed just a minute ago, you drop that rock in that puddle, boom, it's a catastrophe. You see what I'm saying? So what about any of those pebbles or even that rock going into this size world? It'll ripple, but it's not going to be a catastrophe because it's deep and it's wide. 
And folks, if you have a world that is bigger than the little bitty bubble that is run by you and is run for you and everything revolves around you, then any little pebble that upsets your world will rock your world, much less those really big ones. So what do you do if you want a bigger world? You have to look outward, not inward. You have to say, what can I do to serve? And I'm just going to share this with you very, very quickly. The pandemic was unhealthy for all of us because every one of us was so nervous that we grabbed a hold of everything, drew it in as tight as we could and held it as tight as we could because we were scared to death of what it was going to do to us and our world. And for some of us, we need to be reminded that if it's feeling like your world is awfully small, it's probably because you haven't learned to say, all right, hold on. That was not healthy. That was a moment. That was a season. But that is no way to live your life for the rest of your life. You release it. You go back and you say, it's time to once again begin to live with hope. Let's go to our last slide here. Living life with hope means life lived for bigger things than self. Serving others is the path that finds a bigger world and all the joy and all the purpose and all the hope that goes along with it all comes on the pathway of serving others. True greatness serves others, not self. Here's your I apply by. You identify one person to serve and then you act on that. And I said, make it small. Don't go out there and spend 35 hours of the next week spending serving with somebody else because then you will not do it again for another year or something like that, right? So just make it small. Send them a text. Shoot them something and say, hey, can, I, can we meet for coffee? Or can I take you to lunch at my treat? Or can I help you? My kids that were separated from their son have a dog that they worry about. <laughs> And um, they have been at Mercy Hospital on the north side of Oklahoma City, which is about a 45-minute drive from their house. And what an incredible blessing it was that their close friends and their church members called them and said, what can we do to serve you? What can we do to make your life better in the midst of this difficult season with your baby in the NICU? And they said, can you let our dog out for us and feed her? And they said, Sure. No problem at all. We'll be there twice a day. But how many of you know that's a huge blessing, right? It's really practical stuff that makes a big difference. Now, let me ask you a question. These folks don't own a dog. Are they passionate about dogs? I would say no. Why are they passionate? They're passionate about loving other Christians and making sure it makes sense and it is a real world thing. See what I'm saying? All right. So let's go to our next, uh, is our next one the video? Yeah. Good, I finally got there. All right, let's check it out. Nice glasses. Oh, thanks. I have 20-20 vision. I don't really need glasses. Oh. Well, I used to have perfect vision until I caught an eye disease while on the mission field. So, glasses, it's totally worth it. Um, where did you do mission work? I spent an entire week in Africa. Well, I was in Africa for an entire year. 
It's amazing how much you get to know Jesus when you're there for that long. Where were you in Africa? I rescue orphans from there all the time. Really? I wonder if you rescue them from the orphanages that I build there. I don't think so. Oh, you wouldn't probably know that they're mine. I don't have my name on the building or anything. I prefer to remain anonymous. <laughs> oh, well, I prefer to remain anonymous too, but when you do so much for Jesus like I do, you just can't help but be known. Listen, I have built so many hospitals and churches because I care about the body and the soul. That's nice, but I don't need a church to save souls. I just preach from the side of the mountain, like Jesus. Well, if you would come down off of that mountain, you would know what people really need, like I do. Oh, please, like you know what people need. Me and Jesus, we're tight. Look, you guys wouldn't even know Jesus if he came up to you with a sign that said, I'm Jesus. Are you kidding? I've brought more people to Jesus than Jesus. Well, he wouldn't even have a ministry if it wasn't for me. Jesus. What are you doing? Do you love me? Do you really love me? Then follow me. It was uh, short but powerful. Um, it's always a challenge when we really look at who Jesus was and what he did to show his love for us. And, you know, ultimately, I encourage you, go out this week, find someone to serve. Find a small thing that you can do that will show the tangible love of Christ to someone. Be a blessing. And in the process, you just never know the other things that God might open up as far as doors which will give you an opportunity to be a blessing in even other ways to them, meets even bigger, more spiritual types of needs. Heavenly Father, as we end our time together, we thank you so much for your word that is true. And Lord, it is so incredibly applicable to our lives. It's just as true. It's just as easy to follow. It's just as easy to move forward in the ways that you have commanded and modeled for us today as it was in those days. God, we just simply need to hear from your voice and follow as you have called us. So Lord, may it be true of not just our church, but the church universal. But by this, all men would know that we are your disciples, that we have shown tangible love for one another, not because it benefits us, but because it benefits them and is a blessing in every way. Dear God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the modeling that you have given to us. And thank you for the chance to share around your word that gives us purpose, joy, and hope. May we live that way this week. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody together said, amen.